Captain! Signatures detected! Shield up! Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison, recording less than. Less than 24 hours from the release of this episode. Really? Way less. Less than 12 hours from the release of this episode. A rare, hyper-fast turnaround for The Greatest Discovery. This is one of those writing the papers the morning of the test type of records (laughs) that I don't think we've ever done before. I mean, the reason The Greatest Discovery comes out on Tuesday is because we didn't want to die trying to turn around episodes on Friday or whatever for a show that typically Uh airs on thursday and now look at us dying anyway it seems like star trek has just decided that thursdays are the days that they release episodes and they've also decided that prodigy is not one of the shows that they're going to give us screeners for i also need to take the blame for this i was confused about our production and release schedule i didn't think we were doing an episode this week (laughs) you gotta check the spreadsheet adam yeah (laughs) I realized much later that we were. Well, you had a weekend trip, which uh, made it a thing. But uh, hey, one thing we did get from the Star Trek industrial complex for Star Trek colon Prodigy, Adam, is a great big box. Yeah, it's been in my studio office for about a week and a half now. So I think before anything has a chance to spoil, Ben, we should... (laughs) See what's in the box. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope there's not like fresh fruit in there or anything. There frequently is. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain size only. This is a much heavier box than previous boxes they've sent. The first thing I'm noticing is the clothing. I've got I've got a sweatshirt in here. Oh, yeah. Did you get two sweatshirts? Wow. This is very generous. I like these sweatshirts. These are nice. They look to be the same ones. They they both have the uh, the updated com badge logo for uh-huh. the show today. And then on the sleeve, Ben, I knew you'd like this. On oh, the yeah. right sleeve, they've got uh, the thing that all premium garments have. A little sleeve logo there that yeah, says Star we, Trek Prodigy. We totally bit this rhyme. We started putting the Uxbridge Shimoda logo on the on the sleeves of the t-shirts that we sell at podshop.biz. You're wrong about that, Ben. They bit our rhyme. <laughs> Under that, there's a tote bag. Another rhyme <laughs> that, that uh, they may or may not be biting from us. This is great. Check out the gusset. The gusset is it? What are we? What are we talking about? Definitely a three-inch three gusset. gusset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are expert in gussets yeah. these days. We've been we've been looking at a lot of different options for tote bags on the internet for reasons, Adam. This is really cool. It's got kind of blue blueprint schematics. Oh yeah, uh, of the ship on it. Of the of the starship Protostar. Kind of, kind of a mouthful to have star in there twice, right? It is. It is a lot. I'm looking at a coloring book now. Uh, it looks like it's bagged and boarded the way a comic book would be. Oh, damn. I'm going to have to send the contents of this back up to Seattle to uh, to 
to some friends' kids. Friends with kids, yeah. Yeah, I think they're really going to love this stuff. There are some non-perishable snacks in here. This first one is called Moon Cheese. If I haven't taken a good enough shower and then I do, you know, that classic bit where you moon someone. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. They, they might catch an eyeful of some moon cheese. Yeah. yeah. And then we got some arts and crafts here, too, Ben. We got a planet maker. Yeah. With a bunch of powders. If you, if you didn't tell the person receiving this what these were, uh, looks like drugs to me. Oh, there are colored pencils in here. This is really cool stuff. Great. There's a bag of granola. Have you opened this little box? I have not. People watching at home will see that this looks like a Captain Janeway mug. <laughs> and there's coffee a, in there. There's a. It looks Wait a like second. Hot, this isn't coffee. <laughs> it's hot chocolate and a branded marshmallow. A Whoa. branded marshmallow. They printed the logo of the Starfleet logo badge on the marshmallow itself. It's a really big marshmallow. How many inches is the gusset on the marshmallow? <laughs> I don't want to get into a marshmallow measuring contest with you, Adam. This is great. Man. We haven't looked into uh, merchandising marshmallows yet, but now... I think... Uh, that, that is one rhyme that I want to bite of theirs. <laughs> that has been an oversight on our part, and uh, yeah. we're, we're going to correct that. Do you think it would have been inappropriate for the kids had the marshmallow been Murph? <laughs> and you just you just melt Murph into the hot cocoa. Yeah, I don't want a a bouncing planet maker kit. I want a bouncing Murph kit. Yeah, or a stress ball that's Murph. <laughs> I bet they went through a lot of ideas for Murph yeah. Murph merch. I want to call it Murph that uh, that just would not be appropriate. Yeah, you don't want to treat Murph that way. Murph uh, Murph's a good guy. Don't abuse Murph. Yeah. Wow. Well. um... We have opened the box. We now know what's in the box. The beating has stopped from within my studio office. Mor the, the telltale beating of, of Murph the Marshmallow. <laughs> uh, do you want to get into the episode, the first ever episode of Star Trek colon Prodigy? You know, for kids. Hey, guess what isn't for kids? Our show. <laughs> yeah. Let's Before we start the show, let's disabuse the viewers of a couple of things. Hey, listen, if you're listening with your fucking children. Get those fuckers out of earshot or it. wear your headphones. <laughs> That's rule number one. Also, this is, a, this is an off-season dalliance right now before Discovery comes back. I imagine with enough time, with another off-season, we can come circle back around to this. But we're at two shows a week of production here and we still don't have a producer hopefully we will have a producer before discovery kicks off but um yeah i was thinking maybe like we could use the marins to lightly recap short episodes of prodigy during the run of discovery but i think we may have to pu push pause on on prodigy and then come back to it later or something or maybe we'll think Prodigy is way better than Discovery and just like, nah, we don't need to. Yeah, maybe Discovery can fucking wait in line because yeah. Prodigy just cut to the front. Welcome to the greatest Prodigy. It's a new Star Trek podcast on the same feed as the greatest Discovery. I'm Ben Harrison. For how many years did your parents call you the greatest Prodigy before they realized? <laughs> <laughs> Before they became very disappointed. Here's the thing, Adam. I uh, was always told by my parents that I was a smart boy, but 
nobody ever had any illusions that I was the smartest boy because I went to a school that surrounded me with kids that were obviously smarter than me. God, that really sucks, right? Like that's got to be more <laughs> harmful than anything else is the is the thinking that you might be and then surrounding you with those that are. I think it's good to it's good to have your illusion illusions shattered early. <laughs> I had to wait many more years before I realized how much more less than I was than the people around me. You got yours done early, Ben. Well, let's get this episode done as early as possible because uh, we got to basically put this out as soon as we finish recording. We got to turn it and burn it. (laughs) It's Star Trek Prodigy, season one, episode one. It's called Lost and Found. Star Trek fanfare to open... uh... The episode, I really like the 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 color and style of the star fields that we see in this show so far. This is a big TV show in a way that, as a kid, I never got big TV shows. You yeah. and I grew up watching little TVs and little TV shows on them, and now I can't imagine being a little being sat in front of a 65-inch TV, if you're lucky enough, and watching a show like this. You, th- you hear over and over again about how children's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and how, like, everything is going to be YouTube and TikTok. And... Well, there is why. <laughs> well, like, this blew me away because it's like, it is not quite up to the animation standard of what you would expect to see in a feature film for kids but it is pretty close and yeah this is a long episode it's a full hour of television i don't go to many feature films for kids ben how is this not that skipping way ahead like there's the shot where the ship like plows through a waterfall and Mm -hmm. we didn't get a shot of our main character dal like actually getting sloshed Mm -hmm. and i was you know it, it struck me that like on a on the kind of budget that you would have for a feature film, that shot would definitely be in there. The thing you like about children's cinema is the insert. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's what you're saying? You're missing a lot of inserts? But like but like those mo- moments are few and far between. The the moments yeah, yeah. where you're like this is not uh this is not as perfect as it would be if they'd spent 6 years making it for Mm-hmm. you know a cinema audience but it's it's very close like the and and it's beautiful and a, yeah. a very distinctive art style we start um like pulling out through uh it's not dilithium it's something else that they're mining but it is crystals in a mine and this is a very ruripente style uh operation that's the Tars Lamora prison colony and uh it is a a grim and terrible place where Prisoners are uh, engaged in forced labor extracting this uh, crystalline mineral. We don't see topside yet, but we can only assume there are no stockades. Yeah. (laughs) No vast digital frontier. (laughs) Yeah. Punishment means exile from prison to the surface. Our main character, Dal, is is contemplating going to the surface because he sees uh, a cart of this stuff getting pulled up on a chain through a, a... aperture up up at the top of the uh vast cavernous space that they're in and uh he also notices a strange robotic creature watching him in the distance 
We often ask ourselves this very question, Ben. Who is this for when we talk about our own shows? Uh And the answer is us, you and me. (laughs) I think as we watch Star Trek Prodigy, this might be a question that we return to several times. But when you see Dal and you see the way that he's cool, that question became something I asked myself right away. And and the with the rat tail especially mm-hmm. for kids of a certain age, for adults of a certain age like you and me, the rat tail meant cool. Yeah, at least when I was growing up, I had a rat tail for a time as a child. I was never cool enough to pull one off. I had the shaved sides. That's how uh, that that was my cool hair choice. I, I I begged for the shaved sides, and my parents said that was for bad kids. Your parents made a good decision, <laughs> but I got the rat tail. Give me a break. Yeah, I was I was bad kid burlesque with those shaved sides. <laughs> they should have guarded me from the whole situation and just like let me have a dorky haircut. It's a character visualization choice that makes me wonder if like. If that translates to a kid of today, do you see rat tail and do you think cool the way yeah. we do? Also, do you think that this is tail tail or is it hair? Because it it seems to have a uh, a, a it, movement to it yeah. that suggests not hair. He uh, and and Dal is like a an unknown species. He doesn't know anybody that speaks his language. The only two people he can speak to here. Uh, well, we'll we'll meet one of them in a second. But this first one is Dreadnock. This like Darth Vader looking robot that is looking for Fugitive Zero and Dreadnought shows Dal a hologram of Fugitive Zero. And hey, we've seen that hologram before just a second ago. (laughs) Fugitive Zero makes me think of like the comic book issue Zero, the pre-release. Yeah. I'm like, why are they calling this thing Fugitive Zero? It makes no sense to me. Have they never had a fugitive and they're thinking this may beget future fugitives yeah and so they're starting with zero i don't get the numbering convention here i think we just learned that the the name of the character is zero eventually so it's i never put that together (laughs) maybe that's a name that was thrust upon that character and 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 it will go through a change but uh for now uh that's that's my theory of the character we learn in this scene that our main character their full name is dal rl and that seems like they're talking straight to us, Ben, mm-hmm. with, with R as the middle name there. It does. It's, it's like every Star, every new Star Trek series has a little nod to this show, I think. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and the biggest nod maybe is how much backtalk there is by, uh, <laughs> by Dal, yeah. Dal. At, uh, at this prison warden figure. One of your uh, classic backtalking teens. Have you seen Fugitive Zero? I can see how you lost him. He barely fits in your hand. Back talking yeah. so bad that he's about to get killed by uh, Dreadnought when uh, Fugitive Zero like pulls one of uh, one of its robotic wooden shoes off and shoves <laughs> it into the machine. Hence the word sabotage. Not long into the show before we get our first prison break. <laughs> That's what this feels like right away. And during this escape, we see how tiny. Dal is compared to all the other prisoners. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, very brutish shapes uh, in this prison. Uh, one of whom Dal like smashes into the backside of, and it's a big like rock person rock! that is very intimidating. Growls at Dal. 
Good thing Dal didn't run into that rock person's knee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, he's about knee height. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like maybe uh, maybe that character keeps its testicles under that plate that falls off of its chest, though. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed like very suggestive the way that plate fell off. I wondered if that was going to turn into anything, but it doesn't. Right. No. No, it's a kid's show. Nobody's taking it in the nuts on a kid's show. <laughs> Dal hitches a ride on one of these ore baskets and uh, and thinks he's made it away in some real like lower deck shit talking. Like, <laughs> might as well be giving double middles when uh, one of these watchers shoots at the chain. And the watchers look like exocomps with legs to me. Yeah, they do. They've got They're legs and tails. Sp- spidery exocomps. And, yeah. Uh, and so he... Uh, plummets to the the bottom of this mine and uh he's fine though he's fine he falls from like 500 feet (laughs) he reaches terminal velocity yeah i mean like i think that you know your classic hero of a thousand faces myth uh Mm -hmm. often includes a character you know your main character is has a an unknown origin this is uh what you know what happens with luke skywalker at the beginning of star wars is what happens right with so many of these stories, but also unknown special abilities, and I'm I'm sure that because Dal is of a of species unknown, we will find that Dal has some interesting capabilities, and maybe falling from very high heights is one of him one of his. He can fall, but he can most certainly be crushed, as we'll find out later. Yeah. So he steals a whip from a Tellarite guy. I'm only bordering your Humvee. I'll be sure to return you. If this is the D-Quad, which is sort of the implication here, mm-hmm. this Tellarite's pretty far afield. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. What kind of trouble did this Tellarite get into get sent to this prison? Dal flies this stolen craft through the rubble crusher outlet, which is like the one way you don't want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly a beaded curtain. Yeah. It has real Galaxy Quest smashy compactor room vibes. Yeah. And this is probably like the most kids cartoony sequence. Mm-hmm. Just the kind of like absolutely absurd escape scene that uh, goes nowhere. He, yeah. he he does not make his escape. He does not achieve escape velocity. And uh, a sinister figure like shuts down all the power which seems to be part of what is preventing him from being able to do that. An angry old in science fiction is just so naturally coded toward an Emperor Palpatine type figure that when this person's voice is first heard, no one shall escape. You just naturally imagine that's who's saying this dialogue. At least I was. Yeah, it's uh, the diviner, as voiced by John Noble, who played the uh, the like uh, Lord Protector of uh, is that, is that Gondor in uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh well, you would know. You're you're more of a ringer than I am. He's the guy that eats the gross tomatoes and and makes <laughs> and makes one of the hobbits sing for him. Rule of Gondor is mine, and no others. We get a scene where a Kazon guy is dropping off a kitten to the evil robot and uh, a goth lady who seems to be like uh, one of the higher ups at the prison. Yeah. I mean, not only is it evil to be trafficking in slaves, but 
everyone knows that pets make terrible gifts. <laughs> you don't want to do that. And so that's what this Kazon's there to do. That's not a, a good thing to surprise someone with. Yeah. Kazon's like, well, I I know I've given you a ton of kids up until now for your labor camp. And uh, I really want to apologize for not being able to find any lately. Yeah. It appears I've just found all the kids. <laughs> the kids are hard to come by these days. Hopefully this kitten softens the blow. And uh, Gwyn is pissed about this. She says something that Jeffrey Epstein has never said, which is uh, they don't want them so young anymore. <laughs> That's her main gripe. <laughs> so the Kazon heads back to his Lolita Express. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, is this show for kids? Who is this show for? <laughs> it's ben. not for anyone. It's bad. <laughs> this is this cat is I think the same species as uh, as Doctor Katz on Lower Decks, right? Her name is Doctor Tana. Hard to imagine Doctor Katz as a kitten, given how grizzled Doctor Katz is. <laughs> uh, so they purr back and forth a little bit. The the goth lady is like capable of uh, speaking many tongues. And so is uh, Dreadnought, the sinister robot. Mm -hmm. They work for the Diviner. And uh, it is revealed in this scene that uh, this lady is the Diviner's uh, daughter. but And she, she, she works for him, but does not know what his ultimate design is. He's been pursuing some some sinister scheme and she's helping him but she doesn't actually know what it is you ever have any friends growing up who lived in such a strict household that they had to use proper names for their parents <laughs> like that's the sort of household that Gwyn lives in my paternal grandfather was named rick and my dad grew up in such a household and eventually like at some point when he was a kid uh extracted an agreement from his father that he could he could call him pop instead of rick that was a strange negotiation i bet he could, he could never remember it like in the moment because it, it was just the instinct to 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 call him rick so yeah. he for like a lot of his childhood he would run into the room and say rick i mean pop uh i got an a on my test <laughs> did he ever call him prick on accident like confusing <laughs> it in the mouth I, I don't know. I, 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 That's I, a mistake you only make once. When I was uh, when I was a kid, I would sometimes call my grandfather Rick. I mean, Pop, just as a term of endearment. It seems like the diviner lives in some kind of uh, giant lava lamp. Adam, no one who's truly evil likes to live somewhere nice. It's not like our evil people. Our evil people of today love living in paradise. Yeah. On their private islands or whatever. They just go to Little St. James and chill out. In science fiction, they all want to live in lava lamps. Why is that? I don't know. It makes it easier to spot them in, in fiction. Yeah. You can see the lava from space. Yeah. You wouldn't immediately assume somebody on a little island like Little St. James would be <laughs> as depraved as... As they actually are. <laughs> yeah. The main conflict of this scene is that Gwyn is a, Gwyn is a light torturer. Yeah. Unlike her father who wants who wants the hammer brought down through Dreadnought. And uh and Gwyn is like, look, I think I think if given a little time I can figure out where this fugitive might be through Dal, uh using using my softer touch. So why don't you give me a chance to do that first? And so it is agreed, and she's off to to go administer this uh, interrogation. 
And uh, the other crucial, I think, bit of information that we come to learn in here in this scene is that the she and her dad are the last of the Von Cat. What the hell kind of way to act is that? That's their species, I guess, and they're they're the last two. So uh, maybe he oh, has a okay. legitimate axe to grind this 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 diviner guy. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it you seems like he's, he's taking it out on a lot of like uh, slave labor, and uh, that's not, never cool, you know. You think that uh, the diviner is into making Dal suffer because Dal's family may have something to do with them being the last two of their kind? Hey, man, that would be that'd be a pretty dark twist to uh, to have in a children's show. <laughs> yeah, I'm mad at you because you guys did genocide to my guys. We cut to the interior of Dal RL's cell. L in a cell. Hey. Ben. Whoa. <laughs> do not let this wordplay distract you from the fact that in 1998, The Undertaker threw mankind off Hell in a Cell and plummeted 16 feet through an announcer's table, Ben. I wouldn't dream of uh, forgetting that ignoble day. <laughs> There's a voice talking to Dal in here, and this voice seems to be encouraging uh, a prison break. Another one. And Dal's like, I already did that today, even. Yeah. I'm actually kind of tired of prison breaking. Way ahead of you. Kind of sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, pretty soon some exocomps come grab him, and uh, he uh, is brought to a room where there are some lychees in a bowl for him to eat. And uh, and Gwen, the goth lady, there to talk to him, his the only other person that he is able to communicate with, because in this prison, universal translators are forbidden to prevent the prisoners from uh, getting into cat boots with each other. This room is great. This room is meant to be shot in cinemascope. Yeah. It's it's like super horizontal mm-hmm. and the one shutter opens and it's like 200 feet wide, <laughs> like 2 feet tall. <laughs> all of the lighting is very cinematic too. Yeah. In in this room, I mean, and all rooms really on this show. Yeah. It's a beautifully ugly place. It really is. And um he kind of reveals to her that he doesn't know anything about Fugitive Zero. He says, I don't know the guy. And she explains that Prisoner Zero does not have a gender because Prisoner Zero is a Medusin, which is a TOS alien that makes you crazy if you look at it. So Dal takes a moment to enter an apology into his notes app. And he's like, look, I know I said a thing that I didn't mean. I just didn't know. And I'm really sorry for that. And she's like, you know nothing. I know that tone doesn't come across great in text, <laughs> but it seems like you're being like really defensive about an honest mistake that like all anyone is asking for you to do is just correct and move on. A little sincerity versus uh, PR spone corporate speak might be welcome in a case like this. <laughs> yeah. Just be a real person. Yeah. All Fugitive Zero wants is a little validation. Gwyn and Dal have the kind of rapport that seems more casual than just prisoner and daughter of the prison warden. Yeah. Seems like they've been in conversations like this a few times. Kind of feels like Dal might have stuck it through the bars, you know, Mm. (laughs) from time to time. Yeah. He's of an unknown species, so that might mean sticking his knee or elbow through the bars (laughs) as far as we know. (laughs) Yeah. So... 
Gwyn is trying to impress on, upon Dal how important it is that Dal tells her where Fugitive Zero is, because if he does not, uh, this is as good as it's going to get. That's your him. ass. W slash R slash T interrogation. So he agrees to figure this out and is <laughs> condemned to deep core mining for his trouble. Uh, so... <laughs> So he is on the elevator down, like watching the employee orientation video about how dangerous deep core mining is. And uh, he learns through this video that he is going to have his ankle bracelet linked to the uh, big, scary rock guy's ankle bracelet. I got to say, as someone who has made instructional videos for dangerous environments, uh -huh. this particular orientation video is lacking some detail. <laughs> There's a lot of X's down there. I think you want to really show how painful it's going to be when the hot pot of boiling oil falls on you when you slip on the slippery floor in the Canadian restaurant kitchen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Dell and uh, this rock creature are off kind of down a tunnel by themselves and Dallas trying to uh, convince this creature, hey, like, look, if we work together, maybe we can escape. And the rock creature takes great umbrage with all this <laughs> dilly-dallying. Dal falls backwards while holding a laser beam up and cuts a huge slice out of the ceiling. And rocks start coming down and rock creature saves Dal from becoming an X. I don't think it's too early to say this right now. Dal is a terrible miner and kind of a liability down there as a prisoner. Mm -hmm. I think you got to put him somewhere else yeah. besides the mining operation. Maybe maybe some administrative work, like some filing has to be done, certainly. I think he should have been tried as a miner. I, I don't think he should have been put here in the first place. Mm. Yeah, real hardline stance there, Ben. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're right. He's, he's bad at it, but this this uh, this lucky shot has revealed that they are in kind of the mother load of this mine. They are surrounded by these crystals, uh, but not just that, Adam. Something way better in this in this chasm that has been opened up. It's like if the Genesis cave could make crystals and starships. <laughs> That's the big reveal here. Can I cook or can't I? This is a starship that is very much on the lines of Starship Voyager, but a, a more updated design. I was trying to, to get the scale of this thing, too. Like, how, how big do you need a ship to be for it to be a ship versus a shuttle? Because, like, looking at the ramp and the scale between ramp and person, yeah. it seems, like, bigger than a shuttle but smaller than a ship. It's, like, but... midpoint between runabout and ship, I think. Yeah, that's fair. It's a little guy. We do see the back area right away. Yeah, which is nice. You know? No mystery there. <laughs> uh, so they start walking around, exploring the inside of it. This entire time, we're getting close-ups on Fugitive Zero Eye, observing mm -hmm. this whole sequence of events. And uh, they come up on the bridge, and this is where they find the communicator badge that enables them to start having conversations for the first time. And it is revealed that... Uh, the big scary rock man is actually a sweet scary rock child. What did you press? I didn't press anything! This was a fun reveal up until the moment I started really keying in on Rock Talk's mouth 
And Rock Talk has Nagila mouth, and it creeps the shit out of me. It looks like a fucking Conan O'Brien sketch. I love Denver. You know why? No, uh, why? Because it's always mountain time. You think that this is like a situation like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie where they should have taken it back to the drawing board and taken the human teeth out of the mouth of Rock Talk? Yes, I absolutely feel that way. I I am sincere. Like, I can't look at Rock Talk anymore. I gotta like it. (laughs) I gotta say. I I think it's gross as hell, and I think it's bad for kids. I I don't know. You have, like, the whatever the equivalent of misophonia is for seeing teeth in places that seem incongruous. (laughs) Who is this mouth for, Ben? (laughs) So so they're very excited about this ship, and uh, this is when uh, Fugitive Zero reveals themselves to Dal and Rock Talk and uh, the the robot suit that Fugitive Zero is in is it is designed to prevent madness from befalling anyone that looks at at Fugitive Zero and that is because of the kind of thing Fugitive Zero is and there's a there's a flashback to when Fugitive Zero was under uh, the control of the colony where it, it was used to drive people insane i was forced to do terrible things he 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 put that thing on me as all medusans are you can't look at medusans without wearing sunglasses or something yeah and we we see a we see a a flashback of this i've had days like this ben you have a breakout so bad <laughs> yeah you can't show your face to people it was really sad to see what finally ended up happening to Morn? Yeah. He went mad in prison. Yeah. I mean, is that canon? I guess it is. It's canon. That was Morn. Yeah. It sucks. He is the Lurian. So you can look at Fugitive Zero now because they are in kind of a old-timey diving suit that they made <laughs> to uh, to contain themselves. And yeah, it's that a sometimes that... has legs, but sometimes is just floaty. Yeah, I had a hard time figuring out just what the suit's deal was. Like, like at one point, they lose an arm. Yeah. But does that mean that the the arms are like interchain- interchangeable tools, or did they just forget the arm somewhere? Like, I, I couldn't quite figure that out. Well, you know, when you're like doing, you know, when you're building something and you're using a lot of different tools, you put something down and then you like pick up another thing and you're using that for a while and then you're like wow where'd that hammer go i swear i just had it you know it's like one of those things disorganized workspace you know you find an arm just laying somewhere you might want to i want to see what that can do (laughs) maybe go exploring the bars maybe yeah yeah. (laughs) stick the arm through the bars (laughs) who is this stick the stick the arm through the bars and find out Uh, they go find uh, Jankum Pog, the Tellarite that they uh, that uh, Dal stole the car from earlier, because mm-hmm. um, they need a an engineer to get this ship up and running. They figure this ship is their way out, and uh, Jankum Pog initially very impressed that they have a universal translator, but not interested in helping them because Jankum Pog loves this shit. Ben, I don't watch a lot of children's programming. I know that's more your forte. I wonder to what extent, like, character names on these shows are run through a kind of linguistics 
study to see how easily pronounceable they might be for kids. Like it seems like like rock talk and pog. You could easily hear those names being said in a child's voice uh-huh. and like Gwen and stuff. Like I wonder if they focus group this shit. I wonder, yeah. I mean, I feel like when you make a ch- children's cartoon show, you are thinking about the show itself and you are thinking about all of the like toy the merchandising merch. and stuff yeah. and yeah. how how these are going to look hanging on a, a peg in Target or whatever. Here comes my Kazon slave trader ship. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Drive a mad fugitive zero. <laughs> ben, your parents famously did not permit you to play with guns, like toy guns as toys. Do you think they would have allowed the slave trader ship <laughs> as a toy in your household? Uh, yeah, I think that would have been cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Jengenpog, very susceptible to reverse psychology. My prediction that I will just throw down right now is that this becomes a running gag, that they mm-hmm. always need to convince Jengenpog by making it seem like Jengenpog won't like the thing that they need him to do. Jengenpog, perfectly voice cast with Jason Manzukis. Yeah. Great work there. Great work, Zooks. Great work, Zooks. He he has one of those voices where the character design never needs to hew mm-hmm. to the the actor that is performing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Like, he could he can really like throw his voice into just about any any kind of character in a fun way. This is a scene where Zero's telepathic ability is on display, and Zero makes things awkward between everyone. Because they know that unless uh, they can get the ship out of there today, like what's it gonna take? The, what's it gonna take to put you in this starship and have the starship leave for space today? Yeah. Uh, unless they're able to do that, Dal is going to be subject to a form of torture that is going to be less pr- pleasurable than eating berries with Gwyn. So it's uh, it's go time, and uh, with that realized, we cut to uh, Gwen's office or something where she is hanging out with that with that cat uh-huh talking talking about her theory of language i know it sounds like nonsense looks like the cat is bored as hell here <laughs> yeah. uh, nothing to play with for the cat yeah and the cat's really scared of uh of dreadnought who keeps coming in it'd be great if if like these the, these displays these hollow displays were being treated like a laser <laughs> and the little cat was just freaking out, trying to <laughs> trying to catch all of these yeah. displays. And Gwen was like, no, 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 that one, that's my tax documents folder. Leave <laughs> that one alone. Don't click on that. <laughs> so uh, private uh, financial information. Dreadnought does that power move where he's like, hey, Gwen, uh, whatever happened to your plan with Dell? And Gwen's like, yeah, I, d- I had, uh, had Dell, you know, back in the deep mines, you know, looking for Fugitive Zero. And Dreadnought's like, gotcha. <laughs> Dal's gone. You fucked up. You fucked up and I found out. <laughs> I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. 
I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back on the Proto Star, Rock Talk has, uh, uh, has roped another crew member into the gang. Uh, it's that uh, booger dog from an earlier scene uh, that Rock Talk has named Murph because even though they now have universal translators, nobody knows what Murph is saying. So He's probably too smart for translators. Who is Murph for? This episode makes me ask a bunch of questions about universal translators. Like the first time you hear Rock Talk speak without universal translator, it's terrifying snarls and growls in a very mm -hmm. low cadence yeah. and so the universal translator is not just like letting us understand rock talk but it's also interpreting how rock talk might sound 
given Rock Talk's age and like socioeconomic status and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, kind of a kind of a leap for the Universal (laughs) Translator, and it's probably gotten the Federation into a lot of trouble over the years with (laughs) the assumptions that it makes. It's making some very wild assumptions. (laughs) In a minute, we see the Universal Translator taking it to the Notes app, saying. Look, I just want to apologize for the <laughs> literal centuries. I've made some pretty difficult assumptions about races and ages. And, and you know, imbued uh, <laughs> presuppositions about those races into the way I present their, their speech patterns to others, which is, you know, a problem with algorithmic systems. You know, they, they reinforce stereotypes that were built into them by their human designers. So in a lot of ways, it's not my fault because, you know, <laughs> I, I am only as good as the humans that designed me. Can you imagine how much blood is on the Universal Translator's hands for, like, <laughs> the Klingon Federation War, for example? <laughs> Whoops. Hey, it, did you know that it was uh, translating the word humor as honor this whole time? They're Yikes. just funny guys that love joking around. <laughs> they always say the punchline twice, those Klingons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what more would you expect from a species that have two dongs? Right. Uh, Murph is most definitely here to remind us that this is a children's show, right? Yeah. So as they are uh, onboarding Murph in the uh, HR department of <laughs> starship protostar murph's gonna have a hard time uh, doing the drug test i think yeah <laughs> murph uh, looks like drugs yeah dreadnought and gwen and a bunch of exocomps come down the tunnel to where they are so dal has to go run interference which he does by gathering up a bunch of these crystals and running out to meet them before they come uh far enough down the tunnel to see the giant starship. Dal, if you're hiding something. Yeah, Dal, you gotta gotta have this meeting off-site, I think. (laughs) Yeah, so this does not go great. Uh, Dreadnought takes Dal into custody and is good enough not to peek further down the hallway to see the giant starship. Dal, if you're hiding something. What Dreadnought has their mind all about is taking Dal to the Wheel of Pain from Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, I thought and... I thought if Dal lasted long enough, he could really get bulked up. Maybe that's why he's so much smaller than some of the other characters in this mind. I was so hoping we got a passage of time here <laughs> where Dal just gets super ripped and exploded. <laughs> His rat tail gets muscly too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. It looks like a a bunch of sausage links together. (laughs) A disaster happens before he can bulk up, though. There's some kind of industrial disaster that uh, again causes his anklet to break off. His anklet just cannot stay on his ankle. Hey, you know what they should do is make anklets out of the stuff they're mining in this place. That stuff seems super strong. (laughs) It's like building the plane out of the black box material. That would be wise. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it turns out this was all just a scheme. It was Gwen and Dreadnought uh, tricking him into thinking he's free so that he will run back to wherever Fugitive Zero is, leading them right to their quarry. No pun intended. <laughs> when they follow Dal to where the ship is, they're like, God, we were just here. And then they round the corner and they're like, God. Damn it! We were right here! We were right here! 
Damn it! Oh! Idiots! The diviner is going to be so mad! We had like 50 exocomps in this exact area and no one thought to just send them out to scout? They're obviously super expendable. Just send one. (laughs) One! That's all it would have taken and we would have known. One! Ah! (laughs) I think uh, Jimmy Simpson does a much better job as Dreadnought than either of us would do. (laughs) (laughs) Dal makes it back. Everybody is excited to see him. And he's like, wait, you guys were just going to leave without me, weren't you? And they're like, uh, <laughs> no. Yes, yeah. we were. Mm-hmm. I'm expendable. So they, they've got one last thing that's got to get fixed, which is the shields, because the uh, ship has, has no shields and there's a lot of debris around this asteroid or whatever. So uh, that's going to be Dal's job. He's got to go put a battery in the shield battery compartment, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy. Once you see this setup, like this is the only one that hasn't been inserted. You get a boombox and it's got nine out of the 10 batteries in it. It's not going to turn on. No, really won't. It's too bad they don't have redundancy. I know about redundancy, Mr. Hunter. Yeah, it's too bad. Gwyn shows up to confront the group about lying yeah. here. Hey, this is a, a evil slave labor prison colony. Why aren't we all acting in good faith? What gives? <laughs> <laughs> and Dal in this moment reveals himself to be smart enough to recognize that he's been duped by her. Yeah. But he doesn't have too much time to argue the issue because here comes the watchers crawling their way toward them along with Dreadnought. Uh, Dreadnought knew the ship was on the planet. He just didn't know exactly where it was. Yeah. This is what the Diviner has been looking for this entire time. Yeah. And now now they've got it. They've got Fugitive Zero. They got everything. Everyone's got their hands up. Game over, man. It's game over. So a couple of exocomps and Gwen head onto the ship to clear it for other potential escapees. And this is when Dal is able to telepathically transmit to the Fugitive Zero that he would like to punch his way out. Fugitive Zero stupidly explains that this is the plan to Jankum Pog, who also agrees that this is a great idea. And uh, and so a big Star Trek fight breaks out. We talk a lot about, uh, especially in Lower Decks, like this is the sort of thing only a high-spec cartoon would do. Like you could never do this in live action. Right. But when you see the faces that Dal makes while communicating telepathically. Yeah. That is also an example of something you could only do in a cartoon. You could never do that with an actor in real life. It would look too derpy. Too derpy. But uh, yeah, cartoons let you get so much bigger with expressions and with like sight gags and stuff. And, yeah. um, and so this, this fight is very fun. And they all like run back to the ship after destroying a few exocomps. Uh, they tie Gwen up after uh, after fighting her for a bit. She's got like nano, her her like arm jewelry is like a nano sword, but no match for Rock Talk. Rock Talk is not going to get hurt by a sword. This is going to be the new henna tattoo at the Star Trek convention. Oh yeah, situation going forward. Yeah, cool this weapon. Is big fun. Yeah. yeah. The ship during this fight starts skidding toward a canyon. I couldn't quite figure out how it had become unmoored, but it starts slip sliding down towards 
yeah. towards the gap. And I think it's just getting hit with so much phaser fire. Yeah. And the diviner is on the radio with Dreadnought saying, like, if that ship gets fucked up, that's your ass, Dreadnought. <laughs> like, do not, do not mess my ship up. Dreadnought in this scene makes me feel empathy for him because, like, what more does he have to do to satisfy his boss? Like, yeah. Jesus, he's Come doing the on. best he can. Given the situation, this is the best he can do. But um, yeah, hey, maybe make your instructions a little clearer. Yeah, you know what happens in sci-fi when a spaceship is falling down a crevasse and looks like it will surely be crushed, Adam. I do know. Uh, we've got to turn up the score and slowly allow the ship to rise into a kind of moment of playing the theme song, mm-hmm. amount of triumph. Yeah. This is a J.J. Abrams trick. This is this is what he did in the first Star Trek movie. It really is. And so they start to pilot their way out of there. The ship is moving in, in slow motion at first because uh, we've got to get some like beauty shots of the ship, have it go under a waterfall. That was really pretty. Have all the miners cheer them on. Yeah. Dal is up on top of the ship with that battery. He still hasn't gotten it uh, installed. I thought it was funny how that one miner threw Dal some beads. <laughs> That's just for the adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is this for? <laughs> Dal is in a real pickle because he's the only one outside the ship. And as the ship gets closer to escaping, he becomes a little more emphatic with wanting to get back in there. The danger gets ratcheted up even further when Dreadnought plops down on top of the ship near Dal and throws off his cloak to reveal that he is a real grievous type. Hello there. He's got a body that could be sued by a Wachowski for stolen IP. (laughs) (laughs) They are scrapping while the ship is, is accelerating. He uses his telepathic connection with Fugitive Zero to get Fugitive Zero to turn the wheel real hard and spin the ship which gets Dreadnought away from him just long enough to uh, throw that battery in the battery hole. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a great moment where the shields go up and are standing in between uh, Dal and Dreadnought. Tough break. Now bug off! Who slips away and, and bonks off the nacelle. I mean, it's not like that scene in, uh, in Mission Impossible where the bad guy is on top of the train and, and like gets decapitated by the light. It's not quite like that. This seems like a survivable injury for dead for Dreadnought, right? I totally had the scene where Dennis Hopper had that happen to him in Speed. It, it has never occurred to me that both Mission Impossible and Speed have that moment. God, you're right. Man. And they both do it so great. Like more moments like that, please. Yeah. Yeah, more decapitations. Yeah. That's what we need in movies. It's not going to hurt any. That's only one of the problems, though, right, yeah, Ben? You, like, you think they're free. Yeah. But Dreadnought has, has giant guns also, which you know he could have used on Dal a, a minute ago, but instead uses to, uh, to shoot some, some girders to create an obstruction in the, uh, in the tunnel that they're flying through. The Diviner is going to be so pissed about just the mining operation writ large. Like <laughs> A lot of equipment is getting badly damaged here. Yeah, and, and the Diviner, I mean, clearly the Diviner has a business to run. And, yeah. and the, the Diviner has made a choice about whether or not the ship is more important. You, you would hope. I mean, 
yeah, like is, is this all in service of finding the ship or does like the diviner hope to like have the ship and also the mine going forward? Yeah, it appears they're willing to trade one for the other. But uh, I mean, in order to get out of this tunnel, they need to find the phasers because the, the hole, the opening, the aperture mm-hmm. at the end of this thing uh, has been has been stuffed up with all of this debris. Fortunately, tactical officer Murph's butt lands yeah. on the right buttons and uh, Murph is going to be a great security officer you could tell <laughs> really going to give war for a run for his money if you were any other man I would kill you where you stand yeah and they bust on through this thing and they are in space they are Audi 5000 they fire four quantum torpedoes behind them and it just totally destroys the mine <laughs> Every prisoner dead. Uh, there was one moment where they cut back to the cat, uh, yeah. the little kittens, like smiling and thrilled that the to see the ship leaving. And I was like, oh, this kitty is about to get beamed up for sure. How could we not literally save the cat, right? The cat does not get saved. You know what? Maybe that's a message for the little kids out there. Like, you can't save everyone. Yeah. This is real life, kid. You got to make some tough decisions. <laughs> <laughs> You're not old enough to take care of a cat. I was kind of None surprised. of these kids are. Maybe that'll be a, a future mission for the Star Trek colon Prodigy crew, but uh, but for now, the cat is has been has been ditched. Gwen's a bad cat owner, a bad pet owner. Yeah. She just got this cat. And now she's making her dad take care of it? Yeah. You know, the, the dad's not going to take the best care of a cat that's been just like dropped in his lap. Yeah. This guy's already got a really bad attitude. What do you think he's going to do with this pet obligation? She doesn't seem too broken up about it, though. She gets to take uh, her first look at the stars. It's uh, probably nice not to have a starship smell like cat box, though. That's something that that the people on the Discovery don't know anything about lately. Right. Got that fucking cat box smell. Who grudged in here, (laughs) they say. Yeah. It fucking sucks. It's the 32nd century and they still haven't solved for <laughs> stepping on granules. You know, all, the, all those like nano robot uh, controls they have on the ship everywhere in Discovery now. Like it's yeah. that, but for, <laughs> for kitty litter. <laughs> you can't tell what's what's nano and what's litter. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Where are they going to go, Ben? They're, they finally escaped. They could go anywhere. But they need some help. They need to know what to do. And yeah. uh, with the utterance of the word help... Did someone ask for help? Janeway, the emergency command training hologram, appears. Please describe the uh, kids on the bridge emergency, she says. <laughs> please, please please, describe where I can get my closest cup of <laughs> hollow coffee. <laughs> she appears with just a screaming headache and a bad attitude. Yeah. We finally uh, get our a close look at the diviner. Also, mm-hmm. full. Of, he's he's got a bunch of tubes plugged into his back. Yeah, he doesn't look that great. He looks like he's gotten into cupping mm-hmm. a little yeah. heavily. He doesn't look as old as I was expecting, though. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you know how it is. Evil ages a person. It does. Yeah. So this guy's probably like a teenager in show years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You meet Grima Wormtongue once, and it just it just takes years <laughs> off of you. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, Dreadnoughts got to lay the news on this guy, and uh, he does not take it well. You, you you want a boss that can accept that <laughs> to, to air is human, but yeah. I guess Dreadnought isn't human, so. Yeah, and then the, the final shot is the camera pans over to uh, to Gwyn's cat hanging on a tree branch. <laughs> and like the cursive at the end of Star Trek VI, hang in there, is written <laughs> underneath. <laughs> See, uh, the, the Diviner has a sense of humor about the workplace. Did you like this episode, Adam? I mean, the question remains, who is this for? I'm not sure it's for me. Uh, even though there is a lot to like about it, like the cinematic style of animation, the cinematic style of the of the orchestral soundtrack. I mean, as great as it looks, what didn't work for me was the things that it had to do to be a kid's show. The dialogue explaining the visual every time we see a visual, someone yeah. asks a question that is then answered. And... You know, those are things that that in a pilot episode like this, I think you and I, you know, could overlook totally. and and enjoy the show for for its unique properties. But I think if we were to do the series, I think that would become kind of a drag. But I mean, we're not going to be watching the whole series. So what is there to worry about? <laughs> I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I admit to getting the chills when Janeway popped up on screen. I mean, that's yeah. someone without our hit podcast, The Greatest Generation, I would have less of appreciation for. But but now I'm a big fan of seeing her and what she's going to do in the weeks ahead. I liked it generally. What about you, Ben? I liked it uh, for the reasons you list. And, and yeah, like I don't... Um... I think that without this podcast, this is not a show that I would sign up to watch every week. But I think it's very interesting to see a show that is maybe for the first time in a long time an explicit overture toward the idea of bringing new fans into the franchise and specifically young fans into the franchise. Right. And I think it's interesting like how they went about creating this first episode i'm i'm very curious to see how it develops and whether it you know like thinking back to getting into star trek i was probably like nine or ten when i first committed myself to watching it every day after school yeah it's weird to think about right like one of our first star trek episodes was justice and then today's kids first star trek episode is going to be this <laughs> Yeah. Which one is more effective at yeah. grabbing and retaining the viewer? Oh, yes. Nice planet. It's a real knuck-free onboarding for a new Star Trek viewer, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Some exciting voice talent uh, uh, coming up also. I see Jason Alexander, Tuffy Diggs, Jamila Jamil, wow. uh, Robert Beltran, all on the list of people we're going to hear that's doing fun. voices on this show, so there's a lot to be excited about here, and um, I think uh, I, I had fun watching this for the episode today. Murph sits on the tax buttons document, and uh, and here's Chakotay here with Hollow Janeway <laughs> to demonstrate the birds and the bees. <laughs> it's 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 J slash C online fanfic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, do you want to get into the priority one inbox and see what kind of fanfic we have in there? Oh yeah. 
The always titillating are our priority one messages. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Baby the Cat. It's to Eric Vogel. The message goes like this. Happy birthday, damdy. Mommy said it's your 40th birthday. Whoa. And since I can't talk, I wanted these guys to tell you that you're the best damdy in the whole world. I love watching fire shows with you and taking your money to invest in my shrimp wagon business. <laughs> I love you so much. Also, Mommy, Bucky, and 2B love you too. Oh, a lot to process in there, but uh, happy birthday, Eric, I think is the main takeaway. And, right. Uh, yeah, we only missed you by a week, so that's hey, good. That's on time to me. Yeah. As someone who routinely shows up late for recording and lobby call like me, uh, a week late. I've showed up to lobby call a week late yeah. before. Yeah, it's, it's really like that. I don't think the, the people of, uh, of Denver will ever forgive us. <laughs> I don't think many people at the Denver show remember that show, so I think we're fine. <laughs> Adam, our next priority one message is from Liz, the original Elsa, a.k.a. Captain Liz Soto. Wow. And it's to Madame Murr, a.k.a. The Dith. It goes like this. Remember when you were by the pool in Vegas watching TGG's Twitch on my phone and the Naked Now on yours? Remember being a bit embarrassed when asked what we were doing by that hip couple? <laughs> Remember our failed quest for mythical hoofs? <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers. Thanks for being the data to my Jordy, the trip to my Archer, and the Kim to my Paris. So ends the message. <laughs> wow. Uh, Liz and the Dith sound like our kind of people. Yeah, they must have. They, so they were watching our, uh, our Shimoda Day live stream of The Naked Now, where we. Yeah where we watched along with the episode from Poolside in Vegas. Now, that's a Vegas Poolside hang I can get behind. It sounds like neither of them watched by dunking their phones into the pool water, which is something that you would have done, probably. <laughs> they're, they're advertised as waterproof. <laughs> but not chlorine-proof, as we learned. Yeah. As you taught us all, Ben. The, t the type of water matters. <laughs> Well, Ben, the type of priority one message matters. A friend of DeSoto can either choose the commercial style message or the personal message, as were the ones that we read here on today's show. And both kinds go a long way in supporting the greatest discovery. Yeah. A show that needs your support. Thanks very much. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a Murph? <laughs> Yeah, I do think it's Murph, actually. The the butt on the controls saving the day move, I feel like, is the, yeah. you know, what you're going to need in an Edward Larkin type situation. Yeah. And uh, that joke always slaps. I'm going to agree with you too, Ben. I was as surprised as anyone that, uh, that a children's show would have butt stuff in it, but there's Murph. <laughs> there's Murph Jeez, there. Murph. There's there's Murph there to uh, to drop it right on the console. <laughs> Dumping it out on the console is what Murph is doing uh, until we have to fire our phasers. Dump truck Murph. Back at it again. Murph got my phasers like... 
<laughs> if you can see it from Murph's front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, thanks for uh, listening to the show today, a show which will be known primarily for sexualizing Murph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll be back next week uh depending on whether this is a big old prodigy episode or a little one uh we may bring some comics to uh to the table next week uh yeah some new remains uh, to be seen star trek mirror universe comics out that we've been meaning to read so uh yeah uh i mean we'll definitely talk about prodigy next week but uh we may you know just cover it lightly while we cover some other stuff as well right yeah, I mean, we're not going to just squat down on the whole episode like Murph would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cover that whole thing up. <laughs> You're not allowed to wear sweatpants to Murphs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go rewind the episode and watch Murph wobble with it. So uh, <laughs> enjoy these fine credits as read by Adam Pranica. How about that? A premiere episode for yet another new Star Trek show recorded and edited in about six hours. A new record. I want to thank Ben Harrison first and foremost for putting up with me in general, but also jumping through some scheduling hoops to accommodate my weird schedule this week. Can't wait to have a producer hired, and and we're getting very close to doing just that. Support for the show makes it possible. And I'm inviting you to join the many who already have at MaximumFun.org join. Adam Ragusea makes our music. Bill Tilly is our chief engineer of social media at Greatest Trek on Twitter and Instagram. Our official social media accounts are supplemented by some great fan-made communities like the Discord at DrunkShimoda.com, the Reddit page at r slash GreatestGen, and the many Facebook groups and pages you can find loosely and tightly related to the Greatest Gen family of shows. If I have the schedule right this time, we'll be back at you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. Thanks for listening. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.